I'm Alec Lace. Welcome to First Class Fatherhood. Welcome, everybody, to episode 80 of the podcast. Happy, as always, to be here with you. Thank you for stopping by. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, what are you waiting for? Get over there and tickle that subscribe button. You do not want to miss all the action that's coming your way right here on First Class Fatherhood. Okay, dads, it's a pretty special day here for First Class Fatherhood as we are now 80 episodes deep into what began with just a little imagination and faith. I have been working very hard on this podcast and I couldn't be more thankful for all of you listeners out there who have been so loyal and so encouraging. You guys and gals have kept me going on here and I'm very proud of what has been accomplished so far in only five months of podcasting. First Class Fatherhood has been number one on iTunes for kids and family almost a dozen times now, and I have been truly blessed and fortunate to speak with some incredible men, and I cannot express how awesome it is to have seen the response to a podcast about fatherhood. There needs to be more attention placed on the importance of fatherhood, and the vision of fatherhood needs to be much more accurate than it is portrayed on TV, movies, and in the media. And I am doing my best here to celebrate and shine the light on fatherhood and family values. It really seems like there has been an attack on the family life. And when the family structure starts to break down, the community, the economy, and all that go right out the window. And I think one of the big changes that comes with fatherhood is that you start treating other kids the way you want your kid to be treated. And that opens the door for you to start living a life where you treat other people how you want to be treated. And there is no better way to build a strong community than with the philosophy of the golden rule. So thank you so much for listening. And today for episode 80, I have an amazing first class father joining me on the podcast. He is a former undercover ICE agent who was shot three times when he and his partner were ambushed by a Mexican drug cartel. His partner, unfortunately, was killed. He survived, and he is joining me here today. Victor Avila will be here in just a minute, so please stay tuned for that. His story will definitely leave you inspired to want to be a better dad than you were yesterday. And please stay tuned for after the interview as I will be announcing my newest NFL Hall of Famer and first-class father who will be joining me for an upcoming episode. You do not want to miss that announcement. So come on, dads, lock it in, subscribe to the podcast here. Fatherhood rocks, family values rule, and every day is Father's Day right here. All right, so let me smack you with a quick little spot here on how you can help support the podcast if you're interested. And then I will be right back with first-class father, Victor Avila. I'm Alec Lace, and you're listening to First Class Fatherhood. I cannot say thank you enough to all the listeners out there. You will hear a word from my sponsors in the middle of today's interview. If you would like to help me make First Class Fatherhood ad-free, please consider becoming a supporter of the podcast by hitting the link in the description of today's podcast episode. Welcome back to First Class Fatherhood. Joining me now is a First Class Father. He is a retired Homeland Security agent with over 18 years of law enforcement experience. He made news headlines back in 2011 when he and his partner were violently ambushed by a Mexican drug cartel. It is a real honor for me to say, Victor Avila, welcome to First Class Fatherhood. Thank you. Thank you, Alec, for having me on. Okay, let's start here, Victor. How many kids do you have and how old are they? 
I have two kids. I have an 18-year-old daughter and a 14-year-old son. Awesome. One and one. Okay. What type of sports or activities are they into? Uh, my daughter's a freshman in college. She just started, and my son is a big soccer player, but believe it or not, is playing tackle football for the first time as an eighth grader as the soccer season doesn't start until next spring. So he, he's kind of getting into that right now. Cool. All right, Victor, hit me and my listeners with a little bit about your background and take us up to the ambush in Mexico City back in 2011. Uh, yes, um, I, um, I'm a former uh, special agent with ICE, now uh, kind of also known as Homeland Security Investigations, the, the different division of ICE. Um, I started uh, that career after uh, serving as a state parole officer for the state of Texas for a few years and uh, went up my ranks uh, to a U.S. probation officer and worked for the U.S. courts. And that's when I realized I wanted to be a, a criminal investigator. And I did back in uh, right when the merger happened between the Immigration and Naturalization Service and the U.S. Customs Service combined the investigators, the special agents combined to create ICE when I got hired. And so I was one of those first academies to graduate from actual ICE Academy. But believe it or not, I still graduated with U.S. Customs credentials because I hadn't invented the ICE badge yet at that time. That was back in 2003. Um, eventually, my career led me to uh, to be assigned to the U.S. border, um, conducting uh, investigations that uh, had to do with drug trafficking, human smuggling, human trafficking, money laundering, bulk cash smuggling, all that. Eventually, my, um, my career led me to be assigned officially to the U.S. Embassy in Mexico City back in 2009. And that's where I, I moved my family with me, my, my kids and my wife. Uh, we're having a great time uh, assigned to Mexico and was the busiest time of my life. Um, hardly got to see my family at that point because it was extremely, extremely busy. At that point, that office was a, the busiest office in the, in the world um, and just was very dedicated to my work. Unfortunately, in, uh, in February 15th of 2011, Special Agent Jaime Zapata and I were ambushed while on a mission on Highway 57, the highway, the, the toll road leading from Mexico City to north to Monterey. And we were going to ex- exchange some equipment, and we were ambushed by the Zetas cartel. And um, very unfortunate that Jaime uh, lost his life in that ambush. I was shot three times. And... You know, survived only by a miracle by God, from God that He still has me here. So uh, it's been uh, it's been a difficult ordeal, to say the least. Not just for me and my family and my kids, which uh, you know I learned a lot about being a father after that happened to me. Wow, that's a miracle. I'm sorry for the loss of your partner, and thank God that you are here with us today. And just like with all the men and women who serve and protect, you have my utmost respect, and I am very thankful for you and for your service. Uh, tell me, Victor, how did this experience change you as a father and a family man? Well, I, I struggled with the uh, my identity um, uh, after after the shooting happened. Uh, my whole life changed, but but specifically my identity as a father, because I always uh, I, I was like you had said before, I provided, I, I, I had my role, quote unquote, as a father. But my job was and my career was very very much in the in the in the front of the line. And I love my career. I love doing what I did as a as a special agent. And then I know I noticed after the shooting that uh, uh, I missed a lot of things. Uh, my, my kids growing up, my kids would sometimes tell me while I was sitting in my own couch what I was doing there. They would ask me, "What are you doing here, Dad?" And I would tell them, "I'm watching a little TV." But then the next question is, "When are you leaving?" 
and I would tell him, well, actually, I am leaving tomorrow. So it, it, I didn't like that role. I didn't like that. Uh, I wanted that to be completely the opposite. And so uh, they always say good things come, you know, after tragedies. And one of those things has brought me closer to uh, not only my wife, but my two kids as well. Yeah, wow. This really is a, a truly amazing story, Victor. And, and for you guys that are listening out there that are unfamiliar with this entire story of just tragedy and heroism, you have to check out the documentary about it. And uh, I will make sure that there is a link in the description of this podcast. So just click the link. It'll take you right to that documentary. I encourage you to check it out. Um, all right, Victor, with everything you know now about guns and, and being wounded in a shootout yourself, how do you feel about guns being in the home with children, gun safety regarding children, and what is the appropriate age to let a child fire a weapon? Uh, I'm a very pro-gun person. My philosophy is guns should be, um, uh, shouldn't be a secret when you keep them in the home. If you have guns in the home, the kids should know about it. They should be properly trained and, and, and told and, and, uh, and really uh, involved with the gun. I There's always those two philosophies, um, and they, they keep us at the academy, which way to go, whether you're not going to show it or you are going to show it. And I, I chose the, the 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 way of telling my kids that, you know, my, my sidearm is part of my uniform, is part of my tools to go to work, and I'm going to have it on me, and you're going to see it on me, and it's going to be here in the house. Um, and so I didn't want them to have that curiosity about gun here you go you know let's unload it let's let's clean it let's touch it let's go shoot it and my kids were very very familiar with the guns it never scared them they, it was it was something that was part of their lives so i that's the philosophy that i took they have the utmost respect for a firearm which is why what i taught them to have and uh and that's been that's, that's been good for me and my family it, it's it was just something that just i tell them just like you take your backpack to school this is what i take to work every day and it's a tool. It's a lot more dangerous, of course, but uh, as long as you know that it's something that is uh, is always going to be there with me, even today after I'm retired, there's still guns in the house. And my kids have always respected them. They, they, they don't have the need to want to go get it when I'm not here or or, uh, or or deal with a gun because they're very familiar with it. Well said, Victor. Okay, let's switch gears a little bit to drugs. There is a big problem with drugs right now in this country. President Trump just spoke about this the other day, in fact. Uh, so I'm curious to get your opinion on marijuana, the legalization of marijuana, and the effect that it has on our children. Uh, I'm anti-legalization of marijuana. Um, I, I've seen in my career so many crimes, so many families been destroyed because of drugs, and marijuana is always involved at one point or another, mostly as a gateway drug, mostly as a uh, that the first drug that the kids start. And marijuana has never, I've never seen anything positive come out of marijuana use, especially habitual uh, marijuana use. I understand there's medical marijuana out there, and I might not be completely against that, but but just the, the recreational use of marijuana, there's nothing of it, that, nothing good that comes out, out of it. You're still impaired. Um, I used to live in Colorado where it's legalized, and there's a lot of issues that came after the legalization that they kind of didn't think through. The DUI, the uh, the combination of using marijuana with other drugs, um, uh, committing suicide, all these uh, different uh, side effects and consequences to using marijuana, I'm completely against legal legalizing that um, uh, that drug. 
Yes, and I think it may be sending mixed signals, uh, the wrong signals to our kids by legalizing it that it's okay or it's good to start sparking up. Okay, Victor, when I was a kid, we had the D.A.R.E. program and the Just Say No. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what type of effect or results that gave. What's the best way as parents that we can get the message across to our kids that drugs are bad, that they're no joke, and they can be deadly and ruin their lives? This is what I tell my kids. I tell my kids, listen, um, you drugs are everywhere. Alcohol is everywhere, especially my daughter that's in college right now. Um, I don't want them to be surprised. I want them to be, uh, I want them to know that it's out there. I want them to know that you will have it offered to you. It is going to happen in your lifetime. You will be at a party. You will be in a situation where drugs will be there, marijuana, cocaine, pills, all this other stuff will be present and readily available for you. And it's up to you to make that decision of how what you're going to do at that point. Of course, I want them to make the right decision, um, but I, I, I trust in my kids and I respect them as well that, that I tell them many, many, many stories that I've encountered in my career of the terrible things that, that drugs can be. And, and believe it or not, the Just Say No campaign, as uh, as entry that as, as that sound, it's, it's really so useful. You know, um, you know, no one's no one's gonna force it down your throat. No one's gonna make you snort the drugs or smoke it. Um, it's it's uh, it's important that my that your kids know the consequences of starting at one time, and and by knowing that, you have a higher probability of them not ever using it or doing it. All right, it is now time for a word from today's sponsors, and I'll be right back with more of the action on First Class Fatherhood. Okay, with the rise in technology, the communication skills are definitely breaking down a bit amongst our teenagers. I see this on display all the time as I drive Uber. And communication between parents and kids is also changing as well, and it may be a little easier for a kid that's addicted to drugs to kind of slip under the radar. Uh, There's many stories of parents that that never found out their kid was hooked on drugs until the situation was critical. So what are some of the signs or red flags that we as parents should be looking for to spot a drug problem with our kids? Oh, my goodness. You you have to you have to really uh, pay attention to behavioral issues, Um, not wanting to go to not wanting to go to school, um, not wanting to take a a shower on a regular basis, things like that. The eating habits. Um, sometimes when they're on drugs, they either eat a lot or eat, or eat very little. So if you're paying attention to those details right away, those are the red flags that you can, that you can spot them then can lead you to, to deal with the issue. Um, social media and, and, and these phones and, and all these apps, it's important to monitor them. I, I'm a, I'm a big believer in trust with my kids. Uh, they know that we, we trust each other. Um, I don't want to be the helicopter parent checking their phones on a daily basis. That's not me. But I do I do check it once in a while. I, we do discuss it. I, I do go in there and say who you're talking to, what is this, what is that, uh, the foul language that they use now on social media. All that has to be under control. I, I'm not trying to avoid it because you're not. If you're not going to control it, avoid it. At least have your, your, your kids know that they can recognize something what's wrong and to be able to deal with it before it gets out of hand. And as a parent, recognizing these signs are very, very important uh, to be able to deal with it at an early stage rather than when it gets out of control. Okay, so let's take it from there, Victor. Let's say the damage is already done. What does the parent do once they discover that their kid is hooked on oxy or hooked on heroin? What should the game plan be for those parents? For me, uh, at that point, I would 
I would change my life completely. I would change the situation that I'm in, the parents, the children, the household. You have to look at the big picture and say, we're going to we're gonna save our, our child's life because they're having this problem. So you have to go drastic measures. You have to get the help of a professional. You have to get them in, into some treatment immediately. If you're a faith-based person, get the religion and, and your church involved. Um, your family members, everyone to surround this problem and whatever the parent has to do, if I have to move, if to get my kid away from the situation, all out in in uh, in complete attention to this child because that's what the child's going to need. If this child's already hooked on one of these drugs, they're going to need all these changes. And these changes are very difficult. I say it as, a, as it sounds easy. It's not easy. It's very difficult for the parent to move, but... Or, or to do what they have to do to focus on the child and save the lives. If it is still alive and anything that, when you're alive, you have options and solutions. It's when you're dead that all those things go out, are, are never, no, no longer available to you. So if your kid is there and he, and you have the opportunity to save that person's life and get them away from the drugs, do anything and everything that's possible in your power to help them. Okay, some valuable advice there. Thank you for that. Um, what is your feeling on alcohol? I, I may be off here, but it seems like there is a rise, especially in teenage alcohol abuse. It could also be considered a sort of gateway drug in a sense. Uh, but what is your feeling on alcohol and its effect on our kids? Um, I've, uh, you know, I've lived, I lived abroad, and I've lived in Mexico, I've lived in Europe, and alcohol is, a, is seen very differently over there than it is in the U.S. And I've had, I've been been able to see the different cultures. Um, for example, in Europe, kids as young as 12 or 13 are having, you know, they're drinking wine with their parents uh, for dinner. That's a very normal thing. 16, 17-year-olds drink like it's like it's a normal thing. They don't they don't see and they don't have the stigma of alcohol as we do a lot here in the U.S. Now, the abuse of alcohol is always the, the problem here. Now, I don't want my 16-year-old daughter, even though I've lived in, in, in Europe, I don't want her drinking either. I think it does impair you. I think that alcohol and is one of those things that has to be um, – there's a lot of education behind it to tell your kids the effects of alcohol. And if you decide to have a drink, this is what you have to have lined up before you take that drink, especially for my daughter, you know, um, and for safety and, and all these other things that happen on campus. You have to already be prepared before you take that one sip as to what's going to happen, what are you going to have control of after that. Um, and, of course, emphasize the, the, the non-abuse of the alcohol because it is readily available. You can, kids can get alcohol easily in, in this country and, and not just to drink because I can drink and I can get access to it is going to make it right to abuse it. I think everything in due time can can be well controlled and established, but it all starts at the home with your kid, explain to them the effects of alcohol and the consequences of using it. Good stuff. And I'll tell you what, since I do drive Uber part-time, one of the most encouraging things about this generation of kids, especially the college kids, is since Uber and Lyft are so easy to hire, these kids don't seem to even consider drinking and driving at all. They, they're always Venmoing one another and splitting the fare, and uh, they seem to be uh, very responsible when it comes to drinking and driving. Yeah, and and I've seen also not just that also, but I've seen the uh, uh, the commitment by a lot of people to make those arrangements before they start drinking. So 
So they'll have a designated driver. They'll take turns among groups of friends. Hey, it's your turn to be the designated driver. I've seen that a lot, a lot now than I used to back in the day, uh, where people are taking responsibility to to take care of their uh, transportation uh, mode when they start drinking, which is a great thing. Yeah, and unfortunately, as the drinking and driving goes down, it seems like the threat now is the texting and driving is on the rise. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Have we had conversations with that? It is, uh, you know, you see it every day. You're driving. You see that cur- that person in front of you or next to you with their head down, buried down. You could sometimes not even see their head, and they're just uh, on that phone. I-, I tell my my daughter, there's nothing. There is nothing that you're going to miss in your 10-minute drive or 15-minute drive that you're going to have. You put that phone away, and she's really good at it. I'm glad that she puts the phone away. She has it on Bluetooth in case the phone has to ring. Believe it or not, it's still a phone, and you can accept phone calls. Um, and, and in case there's an emergency, the phone is there for you to call. But the texting is something that really, really is, is uh, had gotten, has gotten out of hand, and not just with teenagers but with adults. Yeah, and it's not only texting anymore. People are on social media. They're surfing the net, and there's many more different distractions now with the phones uh, on top of texting. Completed distractions, uh, not only while they're driving, but the rest of the day. I mean, they're on these things for 11, 12 hours a day. And, I, uh, you know, we didn't used to have that growing up. Uh, we had to fill in our time with playing outside or, or doing something else. And, and it's very difficult in this day and age to fill in those gaps when the kids have these options that um, right at their hands. Uh, everything, all the entertainment is in their hands on the phone. Absolutely. Okay, is your law enforcement career now completely in the book? So what are you working on? You got any projects coming up? What's next for Victor Avila? Well, I'm, uh, I'm medically retired, but people can follow me on uh, on Twitter at VicSurvivor11. Um, my journey to get answers to what happened to us and, um, and hopefully uh, get this book out. If there's anybody out there that would want to help, uh, uh, I'm really searching for a publisher and editor to finish the book, and it has to do with kind of a little bit of a memoir, um, explaining my whole career in Mexico. It has to do a lot with immigration and the stuff that's going on, and, uh, of course, the shooting and the aftermath of the shooting and the treatment that my family and I went through. So I really want to put this down on paper and, and, and get a good book out there, but I haven't had good luck with a, with a publishing company wanting to pick it up. Yeah, that's surprising to hear, Victor. I would think the publishers would be all over this thing. I mean, it has everything in it. It would really make a phenomenal movie, let alone book. So, again, I encourage you guys listening to hit the link in the description of this podcast and and get a better picture of what actually went down and took place there uh, by watching the documentary. Um, Okay, last thing I'll hit you with here, Victor. I'd love to ask all the dads that I get on the podcast, what type of advice could you give to that new father or to that about-to-be dad that's out there listening? Um. Uh, the, the first thing I would say is be a parent. Be a parent and try not to be your, your, your child's best friend. They'll have many, many of those friends in, uh, growing up. Uh, be a parent. Establish respect and trust very early on. And always, always make that right, hard decision and try to avoid the, making the easy one. Um, and lastly, I, I would always say uh, don't underestimate your kids. Uh, you'll be surprised how much you'll learn from them. All right, that's going to wrap it up for me, Victor Avila. I want to say thank you so much for giving me a few minutes of your time right here on First Class Fatherhood. Alex, thank you so much. I appreciate it. All right, I'll be right back after a quick spot and stay tuned. I will be announcing my next NFL Hall of Fame First Class Father that will be joining me on the podcast. Don't miss it right on the other side of this quick spot. 
to wrap things up here on First Class Fatherhood. I got to say a special thank you once again to Victor Avila for giving me a few minutes of his time right here on the podcast. That was pretty awesome. Hit me up on Twitter or Instagram and let me know what you thought about today's interview. I'm curious to get your feedback. And for those of you who stuck around for the special announcement, it's time to drop that name on you now. My fifth Hall of Fame guest on the podcast will be a longtime New Orleans Saint, one of the best offensive linemen to ever play the game. He is in the NFL Football Hall of Fame, and I am talking about first-class father Willie Rofe. Willie Rofe will be joining me on an upcoming episode, so I'm very excited to speak with him. So come on, dads, lock it in, subscribe to the podcast here, Fatherhood Rocks, Family Values Rule, and every day is Father's Day right here on this podcast. All right, that's all I got for you today. I'm Alec Lace. You've been listening to First Class Fatherhood, and please remember, guys, we are not babysitters. We're fathers, and we're not just fathers. We are first-class fathers.